Well, you know, we live in, a, in, in days that are they're exciting. And uh, some of the exciting things that are happening, <clears throat> um, we under... Oh, I'm going to do one more thing. Do one more thing. Go ahead. There we go. Testing. Are we... Okay. There's so much that's happening today that, that to me, are, are really exciting. And, and the subject matter tonight is going to is going to come out of a prophetic word that comes out of, um, <clears throat> out of Acts 15, uh, verse 16, 17, and 18. And it talks about the restoration of the tabernacle of David. It says, in the last days, God will restore the tabernacle and the ruins. Amen. And I'm going, to, I'm going to back up just a little bit. And I'm going to talk a little bit about the tabernacle of David. So... Uh, you, I mean, that's a neat prophecy. Wow, he's restoring the tabernacle. What's the tabernacle of David? Because in that passage of Acts, it does not explain what that is. And so in Second Chronicles 25 is the context. And David is talking to Asaph, who was in charge of the musicians who were the, part of the priesthood. There were different priests that had different duties. Some sang, some played instruments, some did a combination of, of those, and plus had other duties. And in, uh, before David passed away, and Solomon's temple was finished, and he was giving instruction to the priest, to Asaph. There's Asaph, Heman, and Jethus. <laughs> it's hard to pronounce. They've got funny pronunciations. <laughs> and basically we have uh, the stringed instruments, the cymbals, the drums, the flutes and the singers oh, and the harps, the stringed instruments. And so uh, Asaph was the big cymbals crash, you know. And so he would have been on the drums, you know, playing the cymbals. But what, they, what David did in that passage of scripture is he begins to break the families up into groups of 18 and groups of 24 which would each have a 12-hour slot, and it was divided up so daily there were 24, there's 24 hours in a day. So there were, the worship, the song of the Lord would continue 24-7. That went on for 30 years through Solomon's reign. And I don't think it's just a coincidence that there, as long as the song of the Lord was being sung. There was not a nation that would make war against Israel. They all came not only and said, your father David was a scary dude and he was awesome and powerful and he was a man of God and you're his son with more wisdom than your father. And please don't attack us. <laughs> and here's some money. <laughs> we'll, t you know, we'll we'll pay you a tenth. We'll pay you out of our abundance. And and silver was so common that they couldn't be they couldn't count the volumes of silver that Israel had. They they said they were as common as paving bricks. Awesome. And so <clears throat> during that time. Um, we oh, and, and and back back to the the organization of the 
of the orchestra and the singers. There was a two-plane um, methodology, I guess you could say, in how they taught. The fathers and the skilled uh, musicians taught their kids, the youngsters. And by the way, when they broke up the families in these groupings to sing, the kids sang right along with mom, dad, and grandpa. They didn't say, well, you know, you're missing some chords. When you really get it tight, then you can be part of the praise band. But not until you have, you know, you've had your auditions and you've done well. So they were learning as they went along. And the two-prong area, uh, Asaph said, play, learn to play, David said to Asaph, teach them to play skillfully on their instrument and to prophesy on it. And when I read that, I went, you know, prophesy, how do you prophesy on a guitar or a flute? I thought you had to say, let's say of the Lord. <laughs> but there is that song of the Lord that is prophetic, that is that the wind of the Spirit that comes upon you. And the skill of your hands become tools of the Holy Spirit. And you begin to play a song that has its origin in heaven. And it brings heaven to earth. And it brings the glory of God to earth. And the beauty of that is, I think, as we become skillful, the kids all learned from mom and dad to be skillful. But they learned how to prophesy on their instrument. And so I believe that that, that, that two-prong um, school of learning is something that I believe there's the Holy Spirit is blowing with great power today in the gifts. I'm sorry, in the area of, of, the, of the arts. In uh, painting, sculpture, dance, music, basically all of the disciplines of art, the Holy Spirit today is beginning to breathe. And there's a generation, there's a young generation that are, that are rising up. And God is doing things... <laughs> Fifteen years ago, if somebody would have told me, I would have said, what? are you taking drugs? <laughs> <laughs> and I, I mean, I have to admit, and I was raised in the church, uh, and I studied art at a Christian college, but I never understood the day that we lived in. And <clears throat> God is doing just, uh, you know, so many amazing, wonderful things. And so... Um, in fact, I'm going to take a moment and, uh, and I'd like to talk about this in, in reference to a new generation. Uh, years ago, I was at a conference, uh, a vineyard conference in Chicago. And John Wimber was, uh, the, the conference was called What the Spirit is Saying to the Churches. And uh, he did that every 10 years, kind of an update. What's, what was the Holy Spirit doing? And at that time, the prophetic office, God was beginning to raise up prophets, and it was messy. <laughs> it was real messy. In fact, he jumped in to try to bring peace and harmony to a lot of confusion. But for the first time in that conference, there was a, a group of, of really profound um, and anointed prophets that spoke. And uh, one of the speakers spoke about Joel's army. And talked about these mighty men that, that listened to nobody, nobody. They stayed in perfect rank 
In other words, they, they only listened to the general. Whatever the orders were, they were on it. They could hop over walls, go through windows. I mean, it's like they were uh, X-Men. <laughs> they, they went beyond the call of duty. Uh, but that message stayed in my heart since then. Somehow, I just kept looking. <laughs> Lord, I want to see this army of, of young people. And <clears throat> I started painting about four years ago. And uh, I had seen The Hobbit. And remember when the big old eagles flew down into the flames to save Bilbo Baggins and his buddies? Boom, that just there was a... I saw that and it was like the Holy Spirit just slowed the frames down. And something burned into my mind. And I, I did this painting at a prophetic conference uh, about a year after I had seen it because it had kind of just burned into my mind. And as I painted it, uh, I, I didn't even want to paint it. I said, God, I can't paint this during worship time. I painted a, a painting of an eagle this wide and this high and it took me a month and a half, two months to paint it. And I said, I'm going to paint an eagle. I'm going to paint an eagle in flight, flying into the flames in 45 minutes of worship. I said, I, <laughs> not this guy. <laughs> I can't do that. All the way to the conference, I'm fighting and arguing. I'm saying, God, but I can't do this. So on the way there, I'm trying to think of what to paint. And I have a good imagination. I could not imagine a banana. <laughs> I couldn't visualize an orange. You know, I said, God, push my brain here. Come on, I've got to think of something. I, it's only going to take me eight minutes to get to church, and I bet something better pop into my head, because I'm going to be up painting in a little while. And uh, so we got up there, and I had some layouts, and, and I said, okay, I'll paint this. And God says, good, we'll do this one together. Amen. And after painting it, um, I'm going to... That other painting came out of a sermon of understanding some things about eagles. But birds in general are fearful of a fire. That's the only fear they have or a larger animal that could eat them. <laughs> That's two basic fears. Fire, don't. We're a bird. Our feathers burn really easily. So <laughs> birds don't fly into fire. But the Lord showed me the army. He said, I have a gener I have." I have a generation that are fearless, but because they know who they are in me, and they have allowed me to take them on the wings like an eagle and to fly into the heavenly places to be seated with me in heaven, and the, with their feathers soaked with the dew of heaven, and having the eyes of an eagle, and I, an eagle can see its prey a mile away. They can see a jackrabbit hopping along. No other animal has that kind of eyesight. And the Lord said, from heaven, from the eye of my Father, they will see the lost. And with no fear, they will fly into the gates of hell to rescue Amen. souls and lives of people that are in darkness where nobody wants to go. And Joel's army. And some of you are here. Some of you are here this morning. That, are, that God is going to burn into your hearts a love and a passion to go to a, to a group of people. They may be right here. In, they don't, you don't have to go to China. You don't have to go to Beijing. You don't have to go to the streets of Calcutta. Though God may call you. But you will go with an anointing 
and with a, and with a fearlessness uncommon. And I, just, I believe that this is a, a painting that depicts that action, that activity. And you can see the breaking of the heavens where, they, where he's flying into the flames with no fear. And he, he knows his prey. Not, not to destroy, but his, his soul to save. The souls to save. And so, uh, uh, <clears throat> the Lord, the enemy had robbed from me painting for almost 25 years. And I just started four years ago. And it's been such a joy to see the Holy Spirit in, in that inability to do things because you get pretty rusty after 25 years of putting it down. But the Lord's brought it back quicker than I would have ever imagined. And it's such a joy to, to co-labor with God in creativity and see him begin to breathe on things when I'm not even aware hardly what's going on. But I'm saying, God, here is one of my talents and gifts and <clears throat> take my brush Amen. and breathe on it and so <clears throat> anyways I'm going to uh, we're going to move along here <clears throat> the neat thing is see we're people that are created in God's image and because we're created in God's image his, a part of his DNA is in us and when we first hear about who God is in Genesis, he's not called the, the Almighty, the Holy, the Just, the Great, the Judge of the Earth, the Sovereign. He is all of those things. But when God first wanted to communicate to mankind, he is their creator. And I love that. And, it, and God said, let us make man in our own image and in our own likeness. And everything God made was good, and it was beautiful. And I can say, you're all beautiful. Every human being is beautiful because we are his creation. And he does not make a mistake. Amen. And if we're created in, God, in God's image, why aren't we creative? And that's a question that used to kind of puzzle me and... And trouble me at times. Because the idea of being creative, well, you know, you're an artist, you know, them, are, them crazy people doomed to depression, broken relationships, unstable, you know, use, users of drugs, drug, name it, name it, you know. <laughs> but I was raised in the, in the church. I, 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 was, I loved creativity. That's who I was. And I, I wasn't maladjusted. <laughs> My wife might... <laughs> Might say, well, there are days. <laughs> but, you know, the Lord's blessed me with a wonderful wife and four children. And seven and a half, seven and three quarters grandkids. <laughs> One more is on the way in May. So <laughs> praise the Lord for that. And so that question used to, used to bother me. <clears throat> if as Christians, the Bible says... Um, if knowing the truth sets us free, then what is missing in our pursuit of the truth? Or have we held a lie thinking that it's true? And that's in answering, why aren't we the most creative people on the earth? Why aren't we the best painters, the best sculptors, 
the best singers. We have some wonderful singers, and we've music has really taken some huge strides in the church. Uh, and so I kind of think, though, that the, the second part is that we have, we have grabbed a hold of a lie thinking it's truth. And so what I would like to do is take a little bit of time just to take a look at what are some of the cultural uh, ideas and philosophies of what art is. And we might see how we've maybe swallowed some of those. And I think one of them is that uh, utilitarian pragmatism that says only what is usable, functional, has value. If I can build, if I can fix my car with it, if it's a nice wrench, it has value. If, you know, if it, if it works, if it makes life easier, then it has value. And... <clears throat> Well, a painting on the wall doesn't accomplish anything, really. It's not, if you're hungry, you you can't eat on it. It's not a plate. It's not a window to look outside. What function does it have in the house? And there are some folks that say that that's the value of art because it doesn't meet, meet a utilitarian need. And that came out of probably 40 or 50 years ago we began... Uh, the pragmatism and utilitarianism began to drive culture. But one of the other things I think that has really uh, <clears throat> affected us was the avant-garde. And I think that was one of the ones, one of the teachings and philosophies that has really hijacked art. Uh, and it basically says that art, uh, as a definition, uh, its value is in the, t- in the effect that it has on the seer. And it doesn't matter what kind of effect, if you are repulsed by it, if you're angered by it, if you're frustrated by it, if you're disgusted by it, the more people, the more the better. And value is completely gone. That's why you've got this, this guy, I remember about 20 years ago, I can't believe it was that long ago, but oh my Lord, the Catholics are ready to string this, this guy up. Somewhere he's from, I think he was French. And he, he took cow manure and stacked up cow manure like Mother Mary, a statue of Mother Mary, in cow manure. I am not kidding. And it was in the New York Times, and they were, oh, this guy's so wonderful. And I'm going, that's a pile of the stuff that really stinks. <laughs> I said, what kind of a salesman? And these guys, oh, they're talking all these grand reviews about this guy. But that's the epitome of the avant-garde. And the, the sad thing about the avant-garde movement, the dangerous thing is the effect has been the, is the most important thing. And it has extracted beauty from art. And it's time for the church to bring beauty back. Because everything God made, and I, when I went to school as a Christian, I was taught that art is the, is the study of, of beauty. And art was a means of, of creating something beauty. And beauty in, in, in many schools of art has composition, there's balance, there's hue, there's perspective, there's many elements. A painting isn't just, and here's another one. <laughs> 
And uh, some of you, I hope you're not offended by this. Well, art is in, the, is in the eye of the beholder. That's a lie. Because you can like something that is just really gross and sick. And there are some guys that there are paintings that are pornography. That's period what they are. Uh, now, I'm not saying the human body is, is to be disdained and awful, but there's a place for it. And it can be presented in a beautiful way instead of in a disgusting way. And so it's time for the church to redeem the arts and to bring beauty back into art. Because beauty is an, is an attraction of the soul. And the church has said, well, art is an expression of the soul and the soul is evil. So art went out of the church. Because, well, one of the lies is, well, if you're an artist, you know, you might really enjoy your art and become arrogant and prideful. And there is nothing else in life that brings arrogance and pride. I mean, as Christians, there's spiritual pride often in the church. It's the most subtle plague that I think at times we've all struggled with. And so that, that's, not, that's a lie that, we, that has to be squelched, you know. There are many of them that have kept, you know, sometimes art, the arts from being promoted. Uh, well, you know, creativity comes out of the soul and a, and a, and a wild imagination is a playground for the devil. <laughs> and <laughs> But the neat thing is the Bible says that if any man or woman is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things pass away. Behold, all things become new. And that means the soul. Jesus came to save the soul. If you're a born-again person, your soul now is redeemed. And sure, we can commit sin, which comes out of the act of the will. The will is one of the elements of the soul. But we, we decide with the will not to serve the Lord. To stand in fear and say, but I can't do that. But my parents said, I'll never be good at this. I'll never be able to do that. And I can't do that. And I'm not like my brother. And why can't I be like my sister? Or why can't I be like, uh, you're not like your uncle. You're not like your dad. You're not like your mom. You're, you know, and we're comparing ourselves. You can never become the you that God designed you to be. Trying to, to look at others. And that in, in art, too, that's the same way. I mean, I can't compare my art with somebody else's art. I have to be what God made me to be and find my creativity and trust the Holy Spirit. And, and I struggle even with that. There are times and many stories of paintings I've wrestled with God saying, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. <clears throat> and God has said, <laughs> in his wonderful, polite way, shut up and just do it. <laughs> he never really said it that way. But it came down to, arm, you can't arm wrestle God. And I got to the point where, okay, okay. <laughs> you know, this is just going to be... Um, uh. <laughs> and it, well, walking on water is not boring, folks. <laughs> it's scary, but it is not boring. And God made us. The spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in us. 
And he's looking for impossibilities for us to walk into. And I'm excited to see that today, the art world, God is beginning to redeem that. God is raising up young artists with boldness. And as a church, uh, some of us, I don't believe it's ever too late. Like I said, I'm almost 67, and four years ago I started painting. And I thought, it's too late, I, I can't do this. And God said, yes, you can, it's time. And it's time now. And so, you're never too late. Look at Joshua. After Moses died, and he didn't just say, well, I'll have my little piece of land here, like flat land by the water, by the lake. He says, I'm as young as when Moses, when we left Egypt, which meant he was close to his around 100. And he said, I'm as young as when I was 30 or 40. I'm taking the hill country, which means you got to climb up a cotton-picking hill before you start battle. And so I thought, wow, you know, God, it, it's, you're, it's never too late for God to begin. And the creative process is, is something that, that uh, can be scary, but it's something that, that uh, gives God great pleasure. And it's a place where uh, I believe our, our imagination, I, I think sometimes there's almost a, child, a childishness in creativity that can be really fun. And God is very much about that. Unless you become like a child, you cannot see the kingdom. Jesus, uh, I was sharing this with a pastor. I'm going to back up a little bit <clears throat> and talk about the importance of how, what we see. The B-flat, I'm not sure at what octave, is the first note that the ear human ear can hear. When you move up 700 octaves, that uh, sound wave begins to speed up until it becomes a nanometer. At 7,000 octaves, the B-flat begins to emit a soft blue light. As it goes faster and faster, it gets lighter, goes through the blue, green, yellow, orange, and until it's white, white hot. And Jesus was the word. It was sound. Amen. And he's light. And he said, you are light of, of the world. Amen. And we have this thing that we make sound out of. Uh, which is, he says, I have put my words in your mouth. Amen. And he said, nobody takes a candle and puts it, a basket over the top. But he takes it, he sets it on a, on a candle holder which lifts it up off the table, raises it up. And he said, you are a light on a hill. And sometimes Christians say, oh, but it's so dark in these days and it's so evil. Just turn the light switch up. <laughs> turn the light switch up. Don't be staring at the... At, does the candle go, oh, I don't, sir, I, don't light me now, it's kind of dark. <laughs> Because what light is, is superior. Amen. Light is superior to darkness. Jesus said to his disciples, I give you all authority over the enemy. What does that mean? If we walk in the room, he has none. 
Where we are, he has none. The only power he has is if we agree with what he has said, which is 99% of the time a lie. And so it's really exciting what, you know, what's happening, uh, I believe, and, and the opportunities that we have to, <clears throat> uh, to express light. And I want to set another, another setting uh, scripturally for, um, I think, the place today that art has in ministry. Remember when the Pharisees came to Jesus and said, uh, and, and in the context, excuse me, <coughs> He had been healing all morning. I mean, all kinds of things. Blind eyes, uh, deaf guys casting out demons they couldn't hear or see. They can see and speak. I mean, pretty wild, cool stuff. All day long. Then the Pharisees walk up in the afternoon and says, Well, Jesus, give us a sign from heaven. And they want to go, Duh. What, you know, get, put your glasses on, you know. He says, Well, you're not going to get a sign. The only sign you're going to get is, no, is Jonah and the Queen of the South. And those two signs are talking about two types of ministry. Jonah was the goer. And he was not a real good example of a goer. Because he went, the, he, went, he went south. And God forced him through a fish to be eaten and spit up on the shore and not wanting to, still hating the people, saying, all right, buddy, in a couple of days, repent or you're going to burn. <laughs> repent. <laughs> I, I mean, his attitude was not loving and kind. But I, I can imagine him walking up on the shore, you know, with seaweed wrapped around his head, bleached white, his hair white, sticking out like this with undigested fish, you know, he's got an eyeball on his shoulder, repent, you know, okay, 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 you know. <laughs> Maybe he had a little help, I don't know. But even with his motives wrong, a whole city, one of the largest cities in existence at that time. That's amazing. That would be like London. London coming to Jesus, you know, in three days. No microphones. So he probably spoke to maybe 30% and the rest, they told everybody else by word of mouth. So the goal is powerful, and that's we under, we have pastors and evangelists and teachers that that uh, under the anointing of the Spirit they speak truth in, in a powerful way. But the Queen of Sheba, she didn't say anything. She didn't preach. But that's the come, come and see. She came and saw and heard the wisdom of Solomon. But what changed her? What said? What left her speechless was when she went into the dining area and she saw those magnificent hanging gardens. She saw culinary. She saw beautiful place settings. She saw the, the costumes of the attendants and the ranking and the positions and the order of everything. I mean, it, it was beautiful. And then when she saw the the uh, architecture, the stairway to the temple. It said that she was without words. She could not speak. After seeing. And Solomon's great wisdom was contagious. And, and uh, in the creativity of, of what he 
released on the people. That they, we're God's people. And we're going to show the world the beauty of having God as our king. And so I, I think in the, in the, what God is doing today in, this, in the great revival, I believe that we're, we're seeing in the end times are thousands and thousands and thousands coming. It's the first time more people are being saved than are being born. There are continents where I've heard up to, to 7,000 people a month are coming to Christ. Never in the history of mankind. And so I believe, uh, so I was talking about, remember the, the, the seeing and the hearing? Jesus said there's two kinds of, uh, there's the come and the go. But Jesus said, I only do what I see the Father doing, and I say what I hear the Father saying. And the church has been good at, at hearing and teaching. But the church has been real slow in the seeing of the saying. And this is where the arts are just coming alive because there's a release where the world is seeing the message. There's the release. And, and let me tell you some, a couple stories. Well, so I don't forget the seeing of the saying. That's what this uh, picture was about. And this represents... God's grace, you know, his blood applied and his grace breaking into our environment. As the Holy Spirit blows and, and draws us to the Lord and the Spirit begins to speak to us, I believe one of the things that God does is he begins to give us the, not just the ears to hear but the eyes to see what the Father is seeing. Because we're taught to pray, on earth as it is in heaven. But if you can't see what it looks like, if you can't see and have a, even the slightest bit of imagination, what would heaven look like on earth? What would it look like? God is releasing our imagination. Our imagination is important. It's so important because until we can see what God is saying, it's very hard for us to copy what we don't see. And so that's why I believe that, that the... What I see God doing in the arts and in dance and many areas to, is just, it's wonderful beyond imagination. And this is the picture, this is the eye here with gold in the pupil. And this life is just being radically changed. I mean, the, the spirit is just breaking areas of this life, of this person's life with a revelation. And there's fruitfulness, the green talks about growth, a massive growth, and the gold of heaven coming down to bless the life as we align ourselves with what God is saying in this day. So this is, uh, this is called breakthrough. You know, and so it, it speaks about that. But I'm going to tell another, uh, just give you a, a few examples of some of the cool things that are happening today. There's a guy uh, in, around San Francisco, somewhere up in that area, and uh, I've seen some of his artwork. It's really cool. But uh, he often will go to the park, just a public park. And one day he was there, and, you know, they have their little walkways and, you know, for walkers and people that, that uh, walk a lot. And a concrete, you know, you have those cracks in the concrete every so far. And the Lord said, draw, draw two feet. So he stepped down and took chalk and filled in two footprints. And he's to do an elbow. 
do a hand, do a kidney, do a heart. And then he says, when people, when you see someone on a walker, ask them if they're having a problem. God began to show him people. One guy's got his, he's kind of walking like this. He's got tattoos <laughs> everywhere. He was, a, he was a biker and he says, boy, you're having a hard time walking. And he says, yeah, stand on those two, on the footprints right there because God wants to heal you. And, you know, the guy is laughing, cussing this guy out. I mean, and he says, well, are you afraid? He goes, am I afraid? I went flying off a bike about 80 miles an hour. I got more metal in me than I do on my bike. Um, he goes, well, stand right there. So the guy walks over and he stands there. And it's like someone plugged him into a light socket. And he jumps off and he goes, blankety blank, what was that? And he goes, how do you feel? He goes, Wow. He said, get back on there. God's not done yet. He said, he's sitting there and he says, whoa, he's going nuts, you know. And after a while, he said, man, he squats all the way down. I haven't bent any of my ankles in three years. He says, look at my wrist. He says, man, I got, I got full motion. Everyone that stepped into an area got healed. And he was just obedient to, to sketch out something with a piece of chalk. Amen. And that's, that's a, creative, a creativity of heaven. As the Holy Spirit just says, do this. Here's, here's a gift. Another group went to the park with kids doing face painting. They taught these kids to begin to move in the Holy Spirit. There's a young girl, probably five, six years old. No, she had to be younger. Maybe five, four or five. And she had some finger paints, and there was a lady in a wheelchair. She was, I would say, probably in her 70s. And she had some, she had, you know, shorts on and a blouse of some kind. And the little girl says, Can I make a happy face on your knee? And she, the, the lady says, Oh, sure, honey. And so she's making the circle. She does the two eyes, and the lady says, Well, no. Why are you doing this? She says, well, I'm going to put a happy face because Jesus loves you so much. He's so happy. And when I put the nose on, you can get up out of your chair because he loves you so much. He's going to heal your legs now so you can walk. And when she hit the nose, when she did the little dot for the nose, this lady gets up out of the chair. She hadn't walked for five or six years. Through children, through the young children. These are uh, a person was in a service and uh, Thursday she had gone to the doctors and they said, you have uh, a massive brain tumor. And ma'am, it is, there's no way we can begin to operate. It's so, it's so large. He said, in fact, it's amazing that we're, you're coherent enough to hear and see, you know. So go home and just say your goodbyes and take care of stuff because there's nothing medicine can do and we don't give you very... It could be days or weeks, maybe. She went to church that Sunday night, and they had what they call prophetic painters painting during worship. And one painting uh, had hope written on it. It just had flowers around it. It was kind of a simple painting. But this lady just came up to the painting and saw the word hope. And she said, oh, Jesus, you're my only hope. If you don't heal me, that's okay, I'll go to see you. But Jesus, only you can heal me. And right there, 
she could feel her ear pop. And, it, and stuff began to run out of her ear. They took Kleenex and began sapping up. <clears throat> and the tumor actually ruptured, drained out of her ear. And she went back to the doctor Tuesday. And she walked in and he looked at her and said, What are you doing here? She said, Well, Jesus healed me. He said, Well, ma'am, let's just uh, wait a minute here. Just let's, you know, let's not get excited. Let's not get carried away. He said, Let me look. And he looked in her eyes. He says, My gosh, your eyes are clear. She began to touch her. He said, You had no feeling here. And he says, She said, I told you. No. Don't, I don't want to hear about it. I'm going to run some tests. Don't worry. They're on me. He did a, he did a CAT scan on her head, he's, and he came back, looked at, looked at him, and said, You have the brain of a 16-year-old, ma'am. Now, s- sit down here and tell me what happened to you. And she told him, Jesus healed me. And, you know, the person that painted didn't, didn't know that God was going to, that there was such an anointing because of her being in God's presence and her desiring, Holy Spirit, paint, take my brush and paint. And Lord, would you release heaven's power through this painting? But he's, that's what he's doing. I can't explain it, and I can't give you a verse for it. You know, but you know what? I've had to sew some pockets because when... When I first heard some of this, I was going, holy cow, i got to sew some pockets for this. But it's exciting to see that God is doing this in, the, in our day. And he wants to do exceedingly abundant, more than we could think or ask according to his, to his will. That's the kind of God we serve. We're living in a day that is the most exciting time. And God, you know, the Bible says that Jesus is the desire... <laughs> Of all nations. And you can be the desire of your home. Jesus and you can be the desire of your family, of your neighborhood, of where you work. If you're a mechanic, people are saying, I, you know, I bet people, if they heard about Jesus, would say, if I owned a, a shop, a repair shop, I thought, Man, I wonder what, what kind of work Jesus would do if he was a repairman. Wow. Amen. You got a chance to be that. Right. You, can be, you can be that baker, that Christian baker, that wood carver, that carpenter, that plumber that brings heaven to earth in, with your hands. And I'm going to close with this one verse or this one passage. This is so, so neat. And... Uh, there you are. Zechariah chapter 1, 18 through 21. And Zechariah is seeing visions. The Lord is he's seeing these things. And there's an angel that's telling him what are the things that he's seeing. And he says, Behold, I see four horns. What are the four horns? And the angel of the Lord says, Those are the nations that have, that have terrorized Israel, Judah, Jerusalem, uh, and my people. And he says, well, what are these four craftsmen? He said, oh, these four craftsmen have been raised up to create terror in the four horns. 
There's a beauty in doing, taking our skill, giving it to the Holy Spirit, and doing the very best that we can do with those gifts, those that the trade that God's given you, that can cause the world to see the goodness of God and fear Him and love Him, because they see something that cannot be explained any other way. And so I, I you know, I think it's it, it's so exciting uh, the day that we live. I'm going to close in prayer and. Uh, Father, I thank you so much that that we get to live in this time. And there are lives here, there are people here that have been afraid. They've lived all their lives dreaming and desiring something, but they've been told over and over again, you can't, you can't, you can't. But the Holy Spirit is saying, you can. I've put that in your heart that your joy might be full, that you might manifest my glory in the earth that you might glorify me on the earth and men would praise me because they would see a sign and a wonder that I want to do through you. I've been waiting. Will you give me what's in your hand and what's in your heart? Father, I thank you that you're so faithful. Come, Holy Spirit, and do only what you can do in in the hearts. And in the young people that are here, God, I pray that you would empower, you would speak to them, you would shape their hearts and their minds and their imaginations, that they might dream with you, that they might take the rest of their days to learn their skills, to practice, and to bring your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.